Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Eniash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Chapter 99. Rolls. Aftermath. Ten days later, the first dead unicorn was found in the Forbidden Forest. Chapter 100. Precautionary Measures, Part 1. May 13th, 1992. Argus Filch's face appeared twisted in the light of the oil lamp he held, shadows dancing over his face. Behind them, the doors of Hogwarts quickly receded, and the dark grounds moved closer. The track they now walked was muddy and indistinct. The trees, branches formerly bare with winter, were not yet fully clad with spring. Their branches stretched up toward the sky like lean fingers, skeletons visible amid the thin foliage. The moon was bright, but clouds scudding across it often threw them into darkness, lit only by the dim flames of Filch's lamp. Draco kept a firm grip on his wand. Where are you taking us? said Tracy Davis. She'd been caught, along with Draco, by Filch, on their way to an attempted meeting of the Silvery Slytherins after curfew hours, and likewise given a detention. You just follow me, said Argus Filch. Draco was feeling rather annoyed by the whole affair. The Silvery Slytherins ought to be recognized school business. There was no reason why a secret conspiracy shouldn't have permission to meet after curfew if it was for the greater good of Hogwarts. If this happened one more time, he'd talk to Daphne Greengrass, and Daphne would talk to her father, and then Filch would learn the wisdom of looking the other way where Malfoys were concerned. The lights of the Hogwarts castle had diminished in the distance when Filch spoke again. I bet you'll think twice about breaking the school rule again, won't you, eh? Filch turned his head, away from the lamp, so that he could leer at the four students following him. Oh, yes. Hard work and pain are the best teachers, if you ask me. It's just a pity to let the old punishments die out. Hang you by your wrists from the ceiling for a few days. I got the chains still in my office. I keep them well oiled, in case they're ever needed. Tracy said, a touch of indignation entering her voice. I'm too young to hear about that, that sort of, you know, especially if the chains are well-oiled. Draco wasn't paying attention. Filch simply wasn't in Amicus Caro's league. Behind them, one of the two older Slytherins following them snickered, though she didn't say anything. Beside her was the other, a tall boy with a Slavic cast to his face, and who still spoke with an accent. They'd been caught for some unrelated offense, having to do with the type of thing Tracy went on about, and looked to be in their third or fourth year. <laughs> said the taller boy. In Durmstrang, they hang you upside down by your toes. By one toe, if you are insolent. Argus Filch was silent for around half a minute, as though trying to think of a proper rejoinder, and then gave a chuckle. We'll see what you say about that. When you learn what you'll be doing tonight. I said I'm too young for that sort of thing. It has to wait until I'm older. 
Ahead of them was a cottage with lighted windows, though the proportions seemed wrong. Filch whistled, a high, sharp sound, and a dog began barking. From the cottage stepped forth a figure, making the trees seem too short around it. The figure was followed by a dog that seemed like a puppy by comparison, until you looked at it apart from the taller silhouette and realized the dog was huge, more like a wolf. Draco's eyes narrowed before he caught himself. As a silvery Slytherin, he wasn't supposed to be prejudiced against any sentient being, especially not where other people might see him. What's this? said the figure in the loud gruff voice of the half-giant. His umbrella lit up with a white glow, brighter than Filch's dim lamp. In his other hand he held a crossbow, a quiver of short bolts strapped to his upper arm. Students! Serving detention! Filch said loudly. Did they help you search the forest for whatever's been eating them? The forest? We can't go in there at night! That's right, said Filch, turning from Hagrid to glare at them. It's into the forest you're going, and I'm much mistaken if you'll all come out in one piece. But there's werewolves, I've heard, and vampires, and everyone knows what happens when there's a girl and a werewolf and a vampire all at the same time. The huge half-giant was frowning. Argus, I had in mind you and maybe a few seventh years. There's not much point in bringing help if I'm to watch over him the whole time. Argus's face lit up with cruel satisfaction. That's their lookout, isn't it? Should have thought of them werewolves before they got in trouble, shouldn't they? Send them out alone. I shouldn't be too friendly to them, Hagrid. They're here to be punished, after all. The half-giant gave a massive sigh. It sounded like a normal man having all the air driven out of his lungs by a bludgeoning hex. <sighs> You've done your bit. I'll take over from here. I'll be back at dawn, said Filch. For what's left of him. He added nastily, and he turned and started back toward the castle, his lamp bobbing away in the darkness. Right then. Now listen carefully, cause it's dangerous what we're gonna do tonight, and I don't want no one taking risks. Follow me over here for a moment. He led them to the very edge of the forest. Holding his lamp up high, he pointed down a narrow, winding earth track that disappeared into the thick black trees. A light breeze blew over Draco's head as he looked into the forest. There's some out in there that's been eating unicorns. Draco nodded. He distantly remembered hearing something along those lines a couple of weeks ago, toward the end of April. Did you call us to track down a trail of silvery blood to a wounded unicorn? No said Draco, though he managed to stop the reflexive sneer. Filch gave us the detention note at lunch today, at noon. Mr. Hagrid wouldn't wait that long to find a wounded unicorn. And if we were looking for something like that, we'd look in the day when it's bright. So... Draco held up a finger like he'd seen Inspector Leon do in plays. I infer that we're looking for something that only comes out at night. I said the half-giant, sounding thoughtful. You're not what I expected, Draco Malfoy, not what I expected at all. And you'd be Tracy Davis then, I'd heard of you, one of poor Miss Granger's lot. 
Rubius Hagrid looked over at the two older Slytherins, peering at them in the light of his glowing umbrella. And who'd you be again? Don't remember seeing much of you, boy. Cornelia Walt, said the witch. Mrs. Yuri Yuli, indicating the Slavic-looking boy who'd spoken of Durmstrang. His family's visiting from the Ukrainian land, so he's in Hogwarts just for the year. The older boy nodded, a faintly contemptuous cast on his face. This is fine, Hagrid said, indicating the dog. The five of them set off into the woods. What could be killing unicorns? Draco said after they'd walked for a few minutes. Draco knew a bit about dark creatures, but he couldn't remember anything that was said to prey on unicorns. What sort of creature does that? Does anyone know? Werewolves! Miss Davis, Draco said, and when she looked at him, he silently pointed a finger up at the moon. It was waxing gibbous, but not yet full. Oh, right. No wares in the forest. The plain wizards most of the time, remember? Couldn't be wolves either. They're not near fast enough to catch a unicorn. Powerful magical creatures unicorns are. I never knew one to be it before. Draco listened to this, thinking about the puzzle almost despite himself. Then what is fast enough to catch a unicorn? Wouldn't have been a matter of speed, Hagrid said, giving Draco an indecipherable glance. There's no end of the ways that creatures hunt. Poison, darkness, traps. Imps as can't be seen or heard or remembered even as they're eating your face. Always so much new and wonderful to learn. A cloud passed over the moon, casting the forest into shadow lit only by the glow of Hagrid's umbrella. Myself, I think we might have a Parisian Hydra on our hands. A no threat to a wizard, you've just got to keep holding him off long enough and there's no way you can lose. I mean, literally no way you can lose so long as you keep fighting. Trouble is, against a Parisian Hydra, most creatures give up long before. Takes a while to cut down all the heads, you say. Bah! said the foreign boy. In Durmstrang, we learn to fight Buchos Hydra. Unimaginably more tedious to fight. I mean, literally, cannot imagine. First years not believe us when we tell them winning is possible. Instructor must give second order. Iterate until they comprehend. They walked for nearly half an hour, deeper and deeper into the forest, until the path became almost impossible to follow because the trees were so thick. Then Draco saw it, thick splashes on the roots of trees, gleaming a brighter color beneath the moonlight. Is that... Unicorn's blood? The huge man's voice was sad. In a clearing ahead, visible through the tangled branches of a great oak, they saw the fallen creature, splayed beautiful and sad upon the ground, the dirt around her shining moon silver with pooled blood. The unicorn was not white, but pale blue, or appearing so beneath the moon and night sky. Her slender legs stuck out at odd angles, obviously broken and her mane spread across the dark leaves, green-black, but with a sheen like pearls. On her flank was a small white shape like a starburst, a center surrounded by eight straight rays. Half her side had been ripped away, the edges ragged like the marks of teeth, 
bones and inner organs exposed. A strange, choking sensation rose in Draco's throat. That's her, Hagrid said, his sad whisper as loud as a normal man's voice. Just where I found her this morning, dead as a dead doorknob. She is a... was... first unicorn I ever met in these woods. I called her Alicorn. Not that it matters to her anymore, I suppose. You named a unicorn Alicorn, said the older girl. Her voice was a bit dry. But she doesn't have wings. An alicorn's a unicorn's horn. Don't know where you all started thinking it just meant a unicorn with wings. There's no such thing I ever heard. It's just like naming a dog Fang. He indicated the huge wolf-like dog that barely came to his knees. What'd you have called her? Hannah or some such? I gave her a names would have meant something to her. Common courtesy, I call it. Nobody said anything to this, and after a further moment, the huge man gave a sharp nod. We'll start our search from here, the last place it struck. We're gonna split into two parties and follow the trail in different directions. You two, Walt and Yuli, you'll go that way and take Fang. There's nothing that lives in the forest that'll hurt you if you're with Fang. Send up green sparks if you find something interesting. Send up red sparks if anyone gets into trouble. Davis, Malfoy with me. The forest was black and silent. Rubius Hagrid had dimmed the light of his umbrella after they'd set out, so that Draco and Tracy had to steer themselves by the light of the moon, not without occasional trips and falls. They walked past a mossy tree stump, the sound of running water speaking of a stream somewhere close by. Now and then, a ray of moonlight through the branches above lit a spot of silver-blue blood on the fallen leaves. They were following the trail of blood, toward where the creature must have first struck the unicorn. There's rumors about you, Hagrid said in a low voice, after they'd walked for a while. Well, they're all true. All of them. Not you. Did you really testify under Veritas serum that you tried to help me, Granger? Three times it was? Draco weighed his words for a while and finally said, Yes. It wouldn't have done to appear too eager to claim credit. The huge man shook his head, his great feet still stomping silently through the woods. I'm surprised, to be honest. And you too, Davis, trying to put the holes in order? Are you sure the sorting hat put you in the right place? It's not a single witch or wizard who went bad who wasn't in Slytherin, so it's always been said. That's not true. What about Chowning Tong, the Black Raven, Spencer of the Hill, and Mr. Kavon? Who? Just some of the best dark wizards from our last two centuries. They're probably the best from Hogwarts who weren't from Slytherin. Her voice fell, lost its enthusiasm. Miss Granger always told me I should read up on anything I... Anyway, Draco said quickly, that's not really relevant, Mr. Hagrid. Even if... Draco worked it around in his head, trying to translate the difference between probability of Slytherin given dark and probability of dark given Slytherin into non-scientific language. Even if most dark wizards are from Slytherin, very few Slytherins are dark wizards. 
There aren't all that many dark wizards, so not all Slytherins can be one. Or as Father had said, while any Malfoy should certainly know much of the secret lore, the most costly rituals were better left to useful fools like Amicus Caro. So you're saying that most dark wizards are Slytherins, but... But most Slytherins are not dark wizards. Draco had a weary feeling they'd be at this for a while, but like fighting a Hydra, the important thing was to not give up. I never thought of it that way, the huge man said, sounding awestruck. But well, if you're not all a house of snakes, then what- Get behind that tree! Hagrid seized Draco and Tracy and hoisted them off the path behind a towering oak. He pulled out an arrow and fitted it into his crossbow, raising it ready to fire. The three of them listened. Something was slithering over dead leaves nearby. It sounded like a cloak trailing along the ground. Hagrid was squinting up the dark path, but after a few seconds, the sound faded away. I knew it. There's something in here that shouldn't be. They went after where the rustling sound had come from, with Hagrid in the lead and Tracy and Draco both gripping their wands at the ready. But they found nothing, despite searching in a widening circle with their ears straining for the faintest sound. They walked on through the dense, dark trees. Draco kept looking over his shoulder, a feeling nagging at him that they were being watched. They had just passed a bend in the path when Tracy yelled and pointed. In the distance, a shower of red sparks lit the air. You two wait here. Stay where you are. I'll come back for you. Before Draco could say a word, Hagrid spun and crashed away through the undergrowth. Draco and Tracy stood looking at each other until they heard nothing but the rustling of leaves around them. Tracy looked scared, but trying to hide it. Draco was feeling more annoyed than anything else. One had the distinct impression that Rubius Hagrid, when he had formed his plans for tonight, had not spent even five seconds visualizing the consequences if something actually went wrong. Now what? We wait for Mr. Hagrid to come back. The minutes dragged by. Draco's ears seemed sharper than usual, picking up every sigh of the wind, every cracking twig. Tracy kept looking up at the moon, as though to reassure herself that it wasn't full yet. I'm... I'm getting a little nervous, Mr. Malfoy. Draco thought about it a bit. To be honest, there was something... Well, it wasn't that he was a coward, or even that he was scared. But there had been a murder at Hogwarts, and if he had been watching himself in a play, having just been abandoned in the Forbidden Forest by a half-giant, he would currently feel like yelling at the boy on stage that he should... Draco reached into his robes and took out a mirror. Tapping the surface showed a man in red robes, who frowned almost immediately. Or Captain Eniage Brodsky. The man said clearly, causing Tracy to start with the loudness in the quiet forest. What is it, Draco Malfoy? Put me on ten-minute check-in, Draco said. He'd decided not to complain directly about his detention. He did not want to look like a spoiled brat. If I don't respond, come get me. I'm in the Forbidden Forest. 
Inside the mirror, the Auror's brows rose. What are you doing in the Forbidden Forest, Mr. Malfoy? Looking for the Unicorn Eater with Mr. Hagrid, Draco said and tapped the mirror off, putting it back in his robes before the Auror could ask anything about detentions or say anything about serving it out without complaining. Tracy's head turned toward him, though it was a little too dim to read her expression. Um, thanks. The few leaves which had emerged on their branches rustled as another, colder breeze blew through the forest. Tracy's voice was a little louder when she spoke again. You didn't have to, she said, now sounding a little shy. Don't mention it, Miss Davis. The dark silhouette of Tracy put a hand to her cheek, as though to conceal a blush that wasn't visible anyway. I mean, not for me. No, really, don't mention it. At all. He would have threatened to take out the mirror and order Captain Brodsky not to rescue her, but he was afraid she would consider that flirting. Tracy's silhouetted head turned from him, looked away. Finally she said, in a smaller voice, It's too soon, isn't it? A high scream echoed through the woods, a not-quite-human sound, the scream of something like a horse. And Tracy shrieked and ran. No, you nimrod! Draco yelled, plunging after her. The sound had been so eerie that Draco wasn't absolutely certain where it came from, but he thought that Tracy Davis might, in fact, be running straight toward the source of that eerie scream. Brambles whipped at Draco's eyes. He had to keep one hand in front of his face to shield them, trying not to lose track of Tracy because it seemed obvious that, if this was a play and they got separated, one of them was going to die. Draco thought of the mirror secured within his robes, but somehow knew that if he tried to take it out one-handed while running, the mirror would inevitably fall and be lost. Ahead of them, Tracy had stopped and Draco felt relieved for an instant, before he saw. Another unicorn lay on the ground, surrounded by a slowly widening pool of silver blood, the edge of the blood creeping across the ground like spilled mercury. Her coat was purple, like the color of the night sky, her horn exactly the same twilight color as her skin, her visible flank marked by a pink star blotch surrounded by white patches. The sight tore at Draco's heart, even more than the other unicorn, because this one's eyes were staring glassily right at him. And because there was a... blurring, twisting form, feeding on an open wound on the unicorn's side, like it was drinking from it, Draco couldn't understand, somehow couldn't recognize what he was seeing. It was looking at them! End first half of chapter 100 Thank you to the following people. Auror Captain Brodsky by Dan Carlin Cornelia Walt, Ida Holcomb Tigrid by Willie M. McAllister Argus Filch by Jay Novella Casey Davis was voiced by Lucky Lance Finney This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. 
If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit lesswrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Welcome to the Black Parade by My Chemical Romance. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the conclusion to Chapter 100, Precautionary Measures, Part 1. <laughs>